Hi, I'm Taylor Burgess, lead pastor of Cross Community, and I want to welcome you to worship with Cross Community Church Online. We're really glad that you've taken the opportunity to join in with us today, and there's just a few things I want to highlight for us as we begin our time together. Uh, first, if you're watching this at one of the Facebook watch parties, we have linked several resources to this video in order to better serve you where you are. Uh, the first thing we've given you is our online Next Steps card. Typically, when we gather in person, we have these cards available on every seat, and these are important because they're the number one way that we stay connected with our church family. So if you are part of our church family and you want to share with us prayer requests or get more connected within our church family, or if you're not part of our church family and want to learn about how to get connected, fill out that Next Steps card. Learn about serving opportunities. Learn about community groups, which are groups that meet uh, in small groups as ho in homes all throughout the community. They're meeting through Zoom meetings right now. You can still get connected to one. Uh, we would love to get you connected within our church family, but use that resource and we'll follow up with you throughout the course of the week. We've also linked to this video, a COVID-19 impact form. If you or your family have been adversely impacted by COVID-19 in any way, we want to be able to do everything that we can uh, to serve you during this season. We've made that resource available to you uh, so that if you have just hit a wall and you're having a tough time, uh, our church family wants to be able to come around you and love you and serve you and encourage you and support you uh, the very best that we can. So fill out that uh, form, that use that resource, uh, and we'll follow up with you throughout the course of the week. Uh, additionally, we've also linked to this video resources for uh, pre-K kids and for elementary age kids and for uh, middle schoolers and for high schoolers. We have links to our Cross Kids page, to our Crossover Student Ministry page. Our, our student ministry is having Zoom meetings in the middle of the week that middle schoolers and high schoolers can jump on. And we've made resources available for kids and families so that you can have family worship right there uh, together in your home. So definitely check out those resources uh, and, and always feel free to reach out to us and, and we'll let you, uh, and we'll be able to help if you're having trouble getting connected to any of those resources anyway, and we can help you where you are. Uh, last, we have linked online giving. Uh, we're so incredibly grateful for how faithfully you have continued to give as a church family through this season. Because of your faithful giving, we've been able to minister to, to dozens of families meeting very practical needs and in a broader scale, meeting some critical hunger needs in our community. That's possible because of how faithfully you have given. So the online giving link is there. It's really easy to set up. But again, uh, reach out to us if you have any trouble. Well, today we're really excited to have Dustin Nally, our associate pastor, sharing a message with us on prayer from 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Uh, Dustin serves on staff as associate pastor over our community groups, pastoral care, and administration. And the Lord has put this word on his heart for this specific time uh, in this season to share with us today as we seek to be a people who come before the Lord in prayer. So thanks so much for joining us today. Look forward to worshiping with you this weekend. Hey guys, we're so glad that you are here with us uh, and you joined us online for worship today. Uh, right now we're going to start here in Psalm 92, and if you would read this with me. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp and the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work at the works of your hands i sing for joy how great are your works O lord your thoughts are very deep amen lift your eyes to the maker of the mountains cast your cares on the one who calms the sea Set your feet on the rock of our salvation. He's unfailing. Lift 
you we worship you we adore you you hold the heavens in your hands and the stars rejoice in your glory you are in the sunrise and you're in the rain you are present in our rejoicing and you're present in our mourning God we praise you we worship you we adore you may our words and praises fall sweetly on your ears today as we approach you together draw nearer to us. May your name be glorified by our worship. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, what a truth for us to meditate on, the faithful love of God. But you know, what makes the truth of God's love so beautiful and so amazing is how it stands as a solution for the demands of his holiness. And our catechism question for today is, will God allow our disobedience and idolatry to go unpunished? And while some might think or hope that God's universal answer to that would be a resounding yes, we find out in fact, as we answer together, no. Every sin is against the sovereignty, holiness, and goodness of God, and against his righteous law. And God is righteously angry with our sins and will punish them in his just judgment both in this life and in the life to come. Ephesians 5, 5 and 6 reads, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You know, as a nation, we are founded uh, on a, a formal judicial system, and we understand the principles of justice and how unfair it seems when someone commits a crime or violates another and seems to get away with it. And we celebrate when the system works, and one who has violated our standards and our laws is held accountable for their actions. And together, we lament injustice in all of its forms and both long for and labor for a day when we might truly realize liberty and justice for all. And yet, when it comes to our relationship with our Creator, our eternal judge, we're often not so quick to desire justice and instead plead for mercy. The truth we discover in our question for today is that God in His perfect holiness can only be declared holy and righteous if He retains His just standard, and that there will be a day that we all stand in judgment for every thought, every word, and every deed. The sobering reality found in that truth is that not one of us will be able to stand on our own. Not one of us is perfect, righteous, or holy. And we have all sinned and fallen short of God's standard of perfection and holiness. And outside of Christ, though eternal justice be deferred, it will ultimately not be denied. But where God's perfect justice demands that our rebellion and sin be paid for in judgment, his perfect love saw to it that that penalty was laid upon his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And his death 
and resurrection on the third day secured eternal liberty and justice for all who would turn to him in repentance as he proclaims those who belong to him not guilty. So join me as we continue to worship and honor the God who took on himself the penalty for our sins so that on the day that we breathe our last breath and face our creator, we might be found righteous through the confession of our sin and the embrace of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ.
wherever you find yourself, uh, I encourage you to open up your Bible uh, to 2 Chronicles 7, uh, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, and wherever you're at, um, just read this scripture and then uh, spend a couple moments in prayer, uh, praying that God would speak to you uh, during uh, this time in his word. Well, good morning, church. It really is a, a sweet time to be with you. I'm very excited to uh, bring the word. As I was working over what um, I felt like the Lord was leading me to, uh, I really wanted this uh, time to be uh, a time of encouragement where we're struggling, uh, we're all in isolation, and I want you to just uh, relish in the fact of God's presence in your life. So that's the reason why we went to Second Chronicles uh, seven fourteen. Uh, so, and, and I think it's just a beautiful time and an opportunity for us uh, as the people of God to reflect on God's good pleasure uh, to respond to His people uh, when they cry out to Him. I'm sure that many of us are struggling during this time, uh, and, and many questions, unfortunately, begin to pop up um, in moments of difficulty and struggle. Uh, our faith is tested. Satan would love to feed us uh, and feed us doubts. 
uh, and stir up doubt in our hearts, doubt that God truly cares about us, a doubt that he is listening to our prayers, doubt that he is with us in our trial and not totally distant uh, and removed. And if he does hear our prayers, why does it seem that he's not responding? All of these are just lies that we just compound and build on in our own hearts, and we need the Word of God to secure us. So, well, this morning I want to take us uh, actually on a journey throughout Scripture, and that's going to be pretty exciting, to point us to the reasons why we can trust that God hears our prayers and desires to respond to his people. Uh, I hope that you can walk away with a greater confidence this morning that according to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles when God, God's people humble and approach him, uh, God will hear them. Uh, and any, as any loving father would, uh, who desires the best for his children. And, and as many of you guys can reflect as parents at home, uh, being isolated with young ones around, uh, especially those of you thrown into the throes of uh, brand new teaching that you didn't know you had a gifting for, that uh, you understand the sinfulness of your children and, and their rebellion. Uh, we've experienced the same thing at our house. And a theme has kind of been pushed out as we're trying to teach our boys uh, as they're sinning, as they don't want to listen to mommy as teacher uh, or daddy to do the specific task at hand, uh, that in their rebellion, um, when they come and they approach us, uh, that we, we, we have a saying now that just is running for our boys, that uh, maybe we have new mercies every morning and we start fresh every single day. So how much more then does a holy God who we've actually sinned against, who when we walk through the question, we recognize the filth of our sin, when he forgives us and says, no, you come here, that I desire to answer your prayers, that I desire to be with you and present, how much more that should mean for us as Christ followers today? Bottom line, this virus is just one of the many light momentary afflictions uh, that humanity will continue to face. Uh, but even as Paul did not want the Corinthian church to lose heart, I want us to turn our hearts to Jesus for comfort as well. He says in 2 Corinthians, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Get that, an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Uh, for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's where God's leading us. So we have a beautiful picture before us today that as we feel helpless and this virus continues to wreak havoc on, on our people's lives, uh, this morning let us see the beauty in the one and only true God who longs to answer the prayers of his children. So I assume uh, that you, the question would be, okay, well then what causes God to respond to his children in this way? Uh, so the main idea this morning is that believers should boldly approach God in prayer because of his presence with his people. That's why we should boldly approach him, because he is present here. So we're going to start with the application in mind, uh, and then we're gonna build from that. So Second Chronicles, I'll read it again for us. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And this is just such a beautiful context for us uh, this morning. This is at the inauguration of the first temple. Solomon has been uh, praying to God, very specific prayers uh, for the people. Uh, and here we know that God accepts his prayer. He consumes the offering that is made before him. The people worship God. And then later, uh, as Solomon is alone in the night, God comes to him and says, I've heard your prayer. And he responds exactly almost, almost line for line to what Solomon had prayed to him that he would answer. Because it's almost set in the negative. 
because uh, it says right there in verse 13, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. This is assuming that now God's people have already rebelled. So they're, they've already fallen. But God's promise, just like what Solomon asked for, because Solomon knew that they were going to fail, said, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves. God then is in the midst of them responding. So God himself declares that if his people who are called by his name humble themselves, pray, seek him, and repent, then he's always there to listen and respond. That is what God in his word is telling us uh, he is going to do. So now this morning is not going to be a four-part sermon. Uh, about things you can do to get God to hear your prayers. It's not like that book, The Prayer of Jabez, that if you, you know, that was completely ripped out of context. If you pray this rote prayer over and over again, somehow you're going to get God to mysteriously do the things that you want. This isn't prosperity gospel. Uh, God is not going to redeem this land if you only pray harder. Uh, he's not going to just destroy the coronavirus with a blink of an eye, uh, although he can do these things. He's not just going to send you money because you pray harder and pour out material blessing on you. That's not what the passage is about. That's not the point. That's not what God is trying to communicate to us. So instead of looking at this scripture and seeing the things we need to do in order to get to God to move, I want us to look at the much greater reality. You see, the context of this passage is set in the, in the context of God's presence with his people. It's about relationship and how God lavishes his presence among his people. What is unique about this passage this morning is that God's response to Solomon is set in a much larger context that we see throughout the storyline of Scripture, and that is found in the idea and the theme of temple. Uh, what does the temple mean? Which this, the temple has always signified for the people of God uh, through, from Genesis to Revelation, God's presence, uh, his favor when he was with the people. So right here in 2 Chronicles is recorded the dedication of the first temple of God during the reign of King Solomon. The temple represents God's favor. But the significance of the temple did not begin with the physical structure. This, I mean, we're well into the people of God uh, at this point in time, and God has already shown favor to his people, and he's already instructed them. Uh, and not to mention, we know that this temple was torn down uh, not long, uh, not many generations after its construction. Uh, so if we're going to follow this thread throughout the storyline of Scripture, uh, we need to see that uh, there's something that is greater at hand. There's something that God wants us to, to look at. So we're going to follow this thread through four different distinct pictures that we see laid out in the scriptures. One is the Old Testament physical tabernacle and temple. And then two is the Christ as the new living temple. And then three, the church is Christ's redeemed temple. And then the fourth, the temple at the end of time. So the first picture, the Old Testament physical tabernacle temple. Uh, and what's interesting is that that actually starts before uh, the people of God are called out. See, in the very beginning of Scripture, uh, Genesis is painted in very large strokes as we see humanity and mankind in God's presence unfolding out through two human beings, Adam and Eve. God walked with the first couple in the cool of the day in a place called the Garden of Eden, where he had placed Adam and Eve. And this is the first image we see of God with his people, walking with them. The very first temple was actually set as a perfect garden. But we quickly know through Adam's uh, deception and desire to be uh, Lord of his own life that he sins against God and God's goodness and God's faithfulness. He rebels. Uh, and what happens in that moment is that God's presence is to be removed because sin has consequences as we learned earlier through the catechism and the question. So this sin has separated Adam from God. 
So God's presence was removed and Adam and Eve were cast out of Eden to wander the earth. And mankind's history then becomes a story of continual rebellion away from God until one is called out among the people to walk in a closer relationship to God. Think Noah and then later Abraham. And it's through Abraham God would place his stamp on a people in the promise uh, to Abraham was the blessing of all his children for all time. Think about that. It's a monumental moment. This people would later come to be known as Israel, and God would give them specific details on how man should live before God and how God could show himself and be present amongst his people. So if you've been following along in your Bible reading plan, I think it was pretty interesting. You've seen a lot of the discussion on the temple at verbatim, right? All the intricacies of the layout, the, how the curtains were to be sewn together, uh, all the details and dimensions, uh, where the priests were to stand, uh, all the specifics on how it was to be worshipped before a holy God. It was a physical location that moved with the people during their wilderness wanderings as they established their place in the land that God had promised them. The tabernacle would eventually become the physical temple that we read about this morning, where God was permanently establishing his presence among his people. And God gave very specific instructions. And interestingly enough, when you read uh, one of the commentators, get this, and, and I love this, this picture that uh, D.A. Carson gives us. So what do the designs teach us? This is the reason why you don't skirt over uh, Leviticus, right? The designs teach us that the only approach to God for sinful human beings, his covenant people, are by the means God himself has ordained, by the sacrifices that God himself has commanded, in the terms that God himself lays out by the priest that God himself ordains by the shed blood that God himself prescribes. It's God's way. It's not our way. It's God's way to himself. The temple in the Old Testament prescribed how we were to meet with God and what would require his continual presence in the lives of his people. And that's what we need today, to see how we are to be in his presence, how we can be around him, be encouraged, be loved, be poured out uh, by him. That's what we want. You see, this is our sure foundation, and if, our, if we're grounded in anything else, we know that that's a weak foundation. But if we're grounded on him, we'll never be moved. We know that. But God not only gives specific instructions about the temple, but in some ways, more importantly, he shows us what we are to do to maintain his presence. So from 2 Chronicles, that's where we get this. We see that God accepts the prayers of Solomon and promises to be with his people if they would but follow after him by keeping the entire law. God fills the temple with the presence which the Jews would later call the Shekinah, the indwelling glory of God as he's present. Yet the very fact of the temple itself points to something greater because if God was going to be present among his people and the people have sin, then they're going to need sacrifices. The very fact that they need sacrifices points to the fact that they are sinners, not, not able to maintain God's presence because God doesn't stand the presence of sin. So the, the physical temple reveals something greater in store for God's people. If the story were the end, then we would just be wandering along in the wilderness. Because like Adam and Eve, like Noah, like Abraham, like the patriarchs of Israel, and later the people of God, we have all failed to maintain the presence of God because of our sin. Second picture, Christ as the living temple. You see, if people need the presence of God and the only way to do this is by keeping his law, then that's a pretty helpless endeavor because we're not going to keep it. And that is exactly the picture we see from the Old Testament up to co the coming Messiah. The people sacrifice to God. They repent for a time. God hears them. He responds. He restores them. 
the people go grow complacent, right? They forget God, he withdraws his favor, and thus we enter into this never-ending cycle, it would seem, and then steps in Christ. As the scripture says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The perfect spotless lamb steps into our reality and puts an end to the old sacrificial system. Christ himself, through the, his perfect death, burial, and resurrection, takes the place of the physical temple building and in a real sense becomes the new living, breathing temple. Uh, he is the place, or, or, or better yet, the person that we are to approach in order to be ushered into God's presence. This is why Christ could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. But what justification do we have for placing all of the weight of the temple worship of the people on God, on Christ? Why would we do this? What do we think from the scriptures? Well, for starters, Christ himself would say this uh, when he's battling with the religious elite before they are about to crucify him. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the, Jew, and the Jew said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. He knew exactly what he was talking about. And the scriptures are full of reasons why Christ is this living temple for us today. Get this, as we'll work through these scriptures real quickly, we're gonna show how he completely replaces all of the Old Testament sacrificial system. One, he is our one and only high priest. We get that from Hebrews. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is our eternal redemption. There is no need for animal sacrifices. We see that from Hebrews as well. He entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, ongoing. That's what the priest did, ongoing. Sins for themselves and sins for the people. But look at the difference. They're offered repeatedly. But when Christ had offered for all time, you can say, you can repeat that back with me. This will be interactive. For all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. No more need for any continual sacrifice. He is the mercy seat of the temple where God resides to forgive the sins of the people. We get this from Romans where we see whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over our sins. Thinking of the great Passover lamb with the blood over the doorpost for the Israelites and the, and the angel coming and passing over them. He is our mercy. Uh, so that, as we learned earlier in the question, that Christ paid for our sins. Complete justice. His own blood is the blood of the covenant. He tells us this. This is when he inaugurates the Lord's Supper. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. It is the new covenant. He is the glory of God revealed. The old Shekinah glory right here that we see in 2 Chronicles, right, is fulfilled in the coming of Messiah stepping on the scene. All of the wilderness wanderings wrapped up into the physical temple is now seen through the powerful resurrection of the Lord. We know this. Peter says God raised him from the dead and gave him glory. James would say he is the Lord of glory. We can't miss these facts. So the temple is no longer the place where you go to see the glory of God. It's no longer a building. For Jesus is place. Jesus is one powerful act, and one powerful act eliminates the Old Testament sacrificial system and becomes, for the believer, our central focus of worship. 
Listen to how John Piper describes this in one of his sermons. I love this. The basis of the Old Testament sacrificial priestly worship system, which focused on the temple, was destroyed when he died. Destroyed the way a shadow is destroyed when the reality lies down on it and takes its place. Jesus removed the whole basis of the temple system by laying himself down as the reality that all the shadows were representing. Jesus destroyed the temple the way a homecoming from Saudi Arabia destroys the need for letters. He destroys the temple the way the rising sun destroys the need for streetlights and headlights. He destroys the temple the way a descending reality destroys its shadow. And when we stand at the, at the resurrection, when Christ is crucified, we see, and when Christ died, the veil of the physical temple was torn into from top to bottom, showing that the way to God is open, the new way through Christ's blood. The third picture. That reality has to fold into the people of God. The third picture is the church as Christ's redeemed temple. So as we see Christ as the new temple, we have to by nature now apply this to the people of God. Because after Christ was raised from the dead, he was not long, it was not long until he ascended to heaven. And since Christ's ascension, we cannot see him, but that does not mean he is no longer present. What would first seem like a discouragement now comes to life in multicolors in a beautiful array as now you and I as Christ followers have become the dwelling place for the Most High God. The church of Jesus Christ is the temple, the meeting place where God meets with man. Holy smokes, get that. That reality should just knock you down. And by application, our bodies are the temple of God by the presence of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. This is how Paul talks about it. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is being joined together, grows into the holy temple of the Lord, in whom, in him, you also are, the, are being built together into what? The dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Here we see the universal church pictured as God's holy temple, and to the Corinthian church, Paul would declare this reality in a more personal way by showing that this applies to every believer, not just in some vague universal church sense through all, church, through all time, but in a real sense within us. He says, or do you not know that your body is, not perhaps can be, is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. It's a huge reality that you and I get to showcase the glory of God to a watching world, to your family as you're stuck inside indoors with one another, that God's presence is always there with you. Don't ever forget this. What a beautiful picture this is. Now, God's children, we get the privilege to experience every moment of every day with him in his glory. I don't know about you, but I don't take advantage of that enough, of that reality. I don't let that sink into my heart and in my soul and worship of a holy God who desires to, that's how much he desires to be with us. So all, all the justice meted out perfectly in Christ and this God who loves you is in you. This should only further motivate us in our prayers because he is always with his children until that which is unseen becomes visible. And that leads us to the last picture, the book of Revelation. No temple, only God. The church of the New Testament and all Christians today as the progeny stand as a picture for the watching world of this grand finale that we see in the, book of the, in the last book of the Bible. See, as you read from the book of Revelation, John the author 
he's accosted with so many different images, images after images that he is seeking to record down for us, uh, for all believers to see what will happen at the end of time. And one of the final images the Lord allows him to glimpse into is the new Jerusalem. And this is what he records for us. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamb, its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory to, into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. So interestingly, when you look at this perfect uh, place, this city, uh, John is able to measure it. And when he measures it, the new Jerusalem turns out to be a perfect cube. And if you go back, you can go do your homework now, uh, looking at the actual temple and the dimensions, the Holy of Holies was in, set in a perfect cube. So get what's being pictured here for us. The city of God, the dwelling place for all God's people as we send together is in the Holy of Holies where God's Shekinah glory dwells. God is not restricted by time or place. He is with you and I wherever we may be. We see that from the beginning of Scripture, from Genesis through the Old Testament to the coming of Christ to Revelation, He desires to be with His people. He has sought you out. This is the storyline that we see. He has come after you and I. He desires to be with you. He desires to answer your prayer, to hear your prayers, to respond to your prayers. Therefore, we should boldly pray to this holy God. Uh, who truly hears us. So what are we to do with all of the discussion about the temple? I hope that it serves to embolden you as you pray this way. As you said earlier from the context of 2 Chronicles, it's set in the, relation, it's set in the theme and foundation of relationship to God. So when God's people cry out to him, he hears. When God's people humble themselves, he responds. When God's people seek him, he is found. And when God's people repent of their sin, he forgives. Church, we have much to be thankful for, much to lift up to God because of his presence with his people. And like the writer of Hebrews, I want us to walk away with a new boldness to approach our Father in prayer. You are never alone. So let us hear from Hebrews. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from all from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father, I want to I want to plead with you on behalf of our people, Lord God, that as we stand as uh, the church at cross, that, Lord God, that you would encourage each and every one of us, Lord God, to faithfully look to the reality of that you desire to be with your people, to not forget, Lord God, that it is that we've been bought, that the blood has been spilt, Lord God, that the penalty has been paid so that we can have direct access to you, the veil torn. There is not this huge wall that we can't transcend, Lord God, but through the power of Jesus, Lord God, we get to be ushered into your throne room. 
Father God, so in our doubts, in our struggles, when we fail to see you around us, Lord God, when we fail to see you working in us, um, we have to recognize that that's our fallen nature speaking, that those are lies from Satan. Lord God, because you promised that you are with your people always. You never leave us. You never forsake us. The reality is, oftentimes, we're the ones that are turning our back. We are the ones that are placing the barriers down. We are the ones that are shutting up our ears and closing our hearts to your movement. Father God, and in that, I just pray that we would repent. Father God, that we would ask for forgiveness. And knowing from our text this morning, Lord God, from walking through the scriptures, that you hear that. Lord God, and you will respond. Lord God, and that you will restore us. So if there's anyone here that's listening this morning, that's tuning in, that it's just been a dark time. It's been an isolating time, which it has for so many. Father, would you just let your presence be felt right now? Would you just fill them up, overwhelm them? Let them know of your love, that there's no way that they can escape. Oh God, we can run away all we want, Lord God, but you will pursue us. You are a good Father, and you are worthy of our praise. And if anyone is listening in, and for the very first time, um, you haven't seen the picture of God this way. You haven't realized, uh, you've always thought that this God was just um, uh, a warmonger, and that he was just... Uh, divvying out penalty after penalty for man's sin, that he's uncaring and unloving. I hope that you would just move in their hearts to see the beautiful reality, that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us, and that that was a huge sacrifice. Lord, and I just pray that you'd work in their hearts, Lord God, to new life, that they would trust you as Lord and Savior of their life, confess their sin, repent of it, and follow and trust after you, Lord God. And we know from your word, we know from your word that you promised that you'll save them. And that's what we desire this morning. Father God, so would you do that as we continue to worship, Lord God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Worship you.
keeper, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. And when we come together, I pray that that's what we seek to do, that we seek to glorify God, honor his presence, that he is here, that he is moving, that he's active. So we're going to continue on as we say our banner verse each and every week as a declaration of what we're going to do with the text that we've seen this morning uh, from Psalm 45, 17, if you just repeat it at home. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. <laughs> the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Guys, we're so glad that you're here to join uh, join us. Before you go, uh, Pastor Taylor has one more thing he'd like to say following right now. Thanks again for joining us this weekend. Um, don't forget all those resources that are linked to the Facebook Watch Party page. For those of you who might be watching this on Vimeo, all of those resources that were mentioned during the welcome are also available on our website at crosscommunity.org. Um, well, as we close things out this weekend, I want to uh, just highlight a few things that are coming up for us in the immediate future over the next few weeks. Uh, many of you have seen over the last couple of weeks, our country is slowly beginning to reopen in many ways, and there's lots of questions about when we'll actually regather together again as a church. Uh, it's still too early to tell exact dates and weekends and when things might start materializing, but uh, we do know the CDC has now released guidelines and recommendations for churches that would regather. Uh, those of you who are part of our church family, you know that we're portable. Uh, we don't have our own facility, so a lot of our plan is contingent uh, on the plans of the YMCA, but we have already been in communication with them uh, and our elder team will be meeting in this coming week, and we will begin the conversation of what uh, staged regathering will look like uh, for the next several weeks, couple of months. We really don't know. As we've all seen the last couple of months, things are incredibly fluid. Uh, we're taking information in just as you are, just kind of a day at a time and a week at a time, but you can rest assured uh, we will not wait a minute longer than we have to, um, but we also don't want to go back a minute earlier than is wise or safe. And so uh, we are going to seek the Lord's wisdom, and we are going to seek wisdom of other church leaders, uh, and, and even seeking wisdom from you as a congregation, and we cover your prayers uh, as we make those decisions. But uh, as long as we're gathering online, there are a number of ways that we want to continue serving you throughout the course of the week. So uh, next week, we're going to begin a new message series that'll uh, last, Lord willing, about seven weeks on the I Am statements of Jesus from the Gospel of John. Seven different times in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes an absolutely revolutionary claim about who he is. And the claims that he makes have massive implications uh, on our lives today. We want to listen to who Jesus is in his own words. And in this season where we, uh, in a lot of times, have, have, have had to really look at ourselves for, for help and look at others, and we're just uh, always looking at the brokenness of our world, uh, we just want to listen to who Jesus is 
in his own words, and that's the aim of the I Am series that we'll start next weekend. But also in a couple of weeks, meaning Thursday, May 14th, we're going to begin releasing a weekly devotional series called Rhythms of Grace. And what we plan to do for about 10 to 12 weeks is teach through the spiritual disciplines, things like praying and Bible reading and journaling and fasting and Sabbath and silence and solitude. So we'll be taking one topic a week, uh, 15 to 20 minute online studies. You can look for those on Thursday nights beginning May 14th. Finally, good piece of news that we want to celebrate as a church family. Uh, Back in early April, we officially welcomed on, at probably the worst time possible, uh, Cole Forrest as our new student minister. We've not been able to see Cole in person yet, and unfortunately, because of uh, everything that's happened over the last month, he and his wife Ashton have not been able to move to Beaufort. Uh, Good news, they are moving to Beaufort this coming Monday, uh, May 4th. So be in prayer for Cole and for his wife Ashton. Those of you who've connected with them online, make sure you reach out to them. uh, Welcome them uh, to Beaufort. Cole and I will be recording a short interview when he gets here uh, that we plan to put online Wednesday, May 13th. So if you've got questions for Cole or if you have any questions about the Spiritual Discipline series, feel free to shoot me an email directly. It's taylor at crosscommunity.org. Make sure we cover your uh, questions for the Spiritual Discipline series and also any questions that you have for Cole. Again, we love you guys. We miss you. Can't wait to see you again in person uh, again, but thanks so much for joining us this weekend. Take care.